you know, before we start the podcast, I just I want to I want to pour one out for our hopes and dreams to play USFL DFS and to bet on the USFL. Um, it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen for us, Joey. I've been waiting all week. We're less than a week away from kickoff. I wanted to fire off DGen on you know the USFL, and it's just not going to happen here in New York. <laughs> Dang, you sound really depressed over this. I am. I am. I, I was so looking forward to it. Thinking about the wasted hours, you know, looking at these these rosters. I followed the draft extremely closely, tweeted out the roster of every team for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, a tough scene. Like, you know what state we live in. I thought they would see reason. In New York, you can't bet on college baseball, NHL shot on goal, slash hit props, which, you know, that has recently changed. NFL draft props still can't. New York colleges, college basketball player props when March Madness was going on, and the USFL and some other ancillary sports. So it was always a uh, dream to have USFL in New York. It's looking like you said we're not going to, at least for the start of the season. They did end up bringing XFL to New York, so maybe it takes them a couple weeks, but I think eventually New York will have it. So don't uh, stay in the slums. You know, I think there's still hope. Wow, thank you, thank you. All right, well, we truck on to best ball. Everybody, welcome to episode 206 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to be talking strategy as it relates to the early best ball championship on drafters.com. If you've been listening to the last few episodes, you'll have known that we've sort of been diving back into the best ball streets. And as we approach the NFL draft, this tournament over on drafters is looking like it's going to overlay. You know, they stopped drafting in under two weeks, three weeks now. April 28th is the cutoff date for drafters because that is when the NFL draft starts. So at 6.30 p.m. EST is the cutoff. There are currently 32.91 total entries out of 10,008 possible entries. So we have about 17 days left of the drafters early NFL best ball championship tournament. And it's looking like it is going to overlay like you said. You know, if you're listening to this and you don't have an account on drafters, you can go and join, make your first deposit of $10 and use promo code DOSE. And you will receive one free entry into this tournament. I really just don't see a reason why you should not be drafting on drafters right now. Especially with the potential of significant overlay in this early tournament. And you know it's full PPR. A lot of people like that. And yeah just go ahead and join. I just don't see a reason why you should not be on drafters right now drafting. Yeah promo code DOSE D-O-S-E. For a first-time deposit, minimum deposit's $10, and they'll give you a free entry. And I mean, this is the tournament, like if you're new to best ball, that you want to be drafting in. Because, I mean, God, they're they're just not going to fill over 65% of the field in less than three weeks. I, I just don't see how and, they could possibly do it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, but it definitely gets ramped up towards the end of the closing period, for sure. It's happened to them with 
pretty much every single best ball tournament that they've ran, especially last season where, you know, it's looking like there's going to be significant overlay and then a week five days, four days before the tournament actually ends, that's when everybody flocks to drafters because they hear about the overlay, and then there ends up being minimal overlay. It happens every single time. You think um, they, they start sending the bots in to the drafts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But, no, nah, I mean, I think there's just a ton of sharp people in the industry that, you know, might be focused on some other things, especially in the off season, But, once the word spreads about overlay, all of the sharp drafters definitely come to drafters and hammer out as many drafts as they possibly can, which obviously decreases the amount of overlay that we're going to get. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this end with at least 9,000 of the 10,000 entries filled. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how it plays out. We'll be tracking it. Once again, that is promo code DOS, D-O-S-E, for first-time depositors on drafters. Before we get into the main segment of the show where we're you know, going to give some general tips and strategy for people trying to attack this tournament, I do have a question for you, Joey. Um, what do you think about people who use safety mode on Twitter? The fuck's a safety mode? It's like, a, you know, it's sort of like where if the algorithm detects that you're being negative, it will auto block you. And I ask because this has been sort of a you know, subjects surrounding Adam Schefter, who has, you know, rightfully gotten quite a bit of criticism over the past couple of days, but he has safety mode on. So these people who are critiquing Adam Schefter's phrasing around the tragic death of Dwayne Haskins are getting auto-blocked and thus losing access to Schefter's tweets. And as a, you know, DFS player, a serious DFS player, you can understand the implications of losing access to to Schefter's tweets. Yeah, I mean, fair point, but there's plenty of other reporters who report the same information, right? And you have until 1 p.m. EST to fix your lineups in DFS, you know, in season and consume all the content that all of these reporters are all tweeting out. So it's not like you're really missing anything if you get blocked by Schefter. I think having your safety on, I mean, I just tried to look for it in the settings. I legit can't even find it. So maybe it's just a setting for people that have a large following. I think that's pretty soft, especially when your Twitter is auto blocking people that are just giving you, you know, fair criticism. Right. Um. So yeah, Schefter is pretty soft for having that turned on. And, you know, he definitely hasn't been perfect and he's been deserving of criticism, you know, over the last couple of months with some reports that he's tweeted out. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, like, I, I, I personally just don't care. You know. I mean, yeah, it's one of those situations, and we've talked about this on the podcast before when it's come up, but it's like, you don't need to share your opinion about everything on the internet. Like, yeah, it's it's okay to just shut the fuck up sometimes. You know, <laughs> I think we should all probably do it more. I mean, yeah, and it's like, you know, if if everybody's saying that he deserves criticism or whatever, like, you know, what what's your tweet saying the same thing gonna do? Right, and and one of the, the main criticisms, especially from, like, athletes to adam schefter's tweet is that like wow they they just don't look at us as you know actual real people we're just like assets all of fantasy football twitter comes in and sort of you know echoes that and it's like dude like nobody looks at these players as assets more than fantasy football twitter Mm -hmm. like you guys are just on your high horse for what yeah i mean god i mean people i think people just care way too much about stuff that doesn't affect them And I think 
people love to voice their opinions on social media. You know, that's kind of what it's here for is to voice our opinions and, you know, get feedback from our peers. But at a certain point, it's just everything now gets criticized and, and looked at under a microscope, especially if you have a large following and people just look for ways to to be offended, in my opinion. Like I said, I, I just literally could not care less. You know, I'm not on one side or, or the other. Uh, obviously, he could have worded it better, and he didn't really need to mention it, but he did it. And, you know, at, at some point, you just got to move on and just, just go on with life. People are going to fuck up. That That's life. I mean, the Gil Brandt one was even crazier, but... I mean, yeah, that was... he That that was worse than Schefter. That, that was opinion. absolutely like, insane. I didn't even think that was real the first time I heard it. There was, like, no way. No shot. It's like, the, he passes away, you know, tragically, and first thing you have to say is, you know, he was living to be dead. Like, you just gotta be soulless. Like... Gotta have some... Like, have some couth, man. Like, even if that's what you think, which is, like, fucked up to even, like, go there mentally, it's like, why are you on yeah. the radio talking about it, dude? Like, yeah. that's... like, how how dumb can you be? Like, I know you're 90 years old and whatnot, but goddamn, like, how stupid can one be? And it's just like, you know, sometimes I, I think that, you know, my heart is cold, but mm-hmm. then I then I see what some other people say, and I'm like, okay, maybe maybe it's not so bad. Because even I wouldn't say some shit like that. Yeah, not publicly. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, f- fair point. All right, let's get into, you know, the real point of this podcast, though. I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I know a little something about winning these tournaments on drafters, and I would be remiss if oh, I didn't share. I, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't want to, you I know, mean, I'm not trying to, shit. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying it's a, I mean, a fact that I know something about winning these tournaments on drafters. I know what it's like to come in first place in a tournament that has 10,008 entries. This tournament that we're talking about has 10,008 entries. I've been there. I've walked the walk. I know the journey, all right? And I want to give some tips to the people. I mean, you know, I'm all for talking your shit. I I think it's better to be more confident in life than, than not. So talk your shit. You deserve it. I mean, coming in first, winning 10K, that's, that's a pretty big accomplishment. I think people need to be listening to what you're saying. So what tips do you got for the scrubs like us at the bottom of the uh, leaderboard? Mm. All right. The first one that I want to give is very specific to this tournament. And I think that correlating your rosters is a must. Obviously, people who have been playing DFS are, are probably well-versed in correlation, but I think that all of those lessons translate almost one-for-one one over to best ball. I think the games in you know at like a base level are very similar, and in terms of correlation, you want to be stacking your rosters, and the reason, especially for a tournament that's going on this early in April, pre-NFL draft, is because we're so far away from the season, it's going to be harder and harder to get everything right it's going to be harder to get multiple things right on one team so through correlation you can sort of reduce the amount of things that you have to get right you know if i'm drafting keenan allen and you know mike williams on the same team if this is going to be a winning team it makes sense that justin herbert has a good year so i should be stacking that um you know if i miss on that entire situation and the chargers offense tanks well it doesn't matter because you know, investing high capital in those picks was already not going to work out. So really you want to be, you know, accepting your risk across these drafts as, you know, either I'm right or I'm wrong, but when you're right, you want to get paid off and, you know, 
at as many positions as possible, I think. Um, and if you look at my team last year, it was very heavily correlated, the team that won. And I think that, you know, you saw that across all of the top teams, you know, in the top 10, people were stacking, people were correlating. And I think that you absolutely have to in this format. Yeah. And, you know, for our listeners that have been playing best ball for a while, they definitely know this. But, you know, if you're new listening to us, you know, if you're watching this, that's definitely something that some people tend to overlook, especially with stacking. And it's a it's a simple concept, right? You know, if you draft two charges wide receivers, you, you want their quarterback, so you get all of the points. And some people still don't do it. And it's the most basic strategy in best ball is to just correlate your rosters when these tournaments come out in the future where we have the NFL schedule you can go deeper into correlation you know correlating based on matchups and playoff weeks and stuff like that and that's just you know one of the most basic edges you can find in best ball you definitely want to be correlating your rosters and stacking your wide receivers with their quarterbacks and obviously you want to be considering the running backs you're taking and you know you don't want to take the quarterback of your team for your running back unless they catch passes etc etc so it's definitely a basic point but it's one of the most important points in best ball and i think that primarily it can be used as a tiebreaker in certain situations like especially if you're drafting a lot of teams okay if i drafted say tyreek hill in the second round and i'm coming around to get my quarterback later in the draft i'm looking at like Tua and Justin Fields. You know, I think that when you have two comparable players, you look at the rest of your roster and it can be a clear-cut tiebreaker. I have J- or I have Tyreek Hill, but I don't have Darnell Mooney. All right, I'm going to go Tua in this draft. Whereas in the same exact position on another draft, you know, I took somebody else in the second round and I got Darnell Mooney in the in the seventh or eighth. Well, then I'm going to go Justin Fields. Same exact position, same exact situation, but those things can just make sense in different ways depending on the way that you're uh, draft has gone up to that point and you know that really just goes into being fluid and understanding you know why correlation is valuable and targeting it where you can yeah and over you know a large sample of teams the best best ball drafters will be doing that on every single team that they personally draft I, kn- I know some of these guys in the industry do auto draft so obviously you can't really focus as much on correlation when you're auto drafting but all of the top guys all of these winners have heavily correlated teams and like Ben said if you look at his winning team it's literally pinned on his Twitter you could see that it's a team full of correlation and you know at the end of the day that's going to get you to the top of the standings when it's all said and done all right Joey what do you got for the people as as a seasoned best ball veteran yourself as a seasoned best ball loser (laughs) all right so my first tip for the the people out there is over a large sample of teams I think you should be investing into assets that are going to appreciate after the draft and that is rookie wide receivers some of these guys are being drafted in the top 10 rounds you know you have your Drake London's your Garrett Wilson's of the world your Traylon Burks they're all going in round eight round nine whatever even those guys Once we know their landing spots, pretty much no matter what team they get drafted to, they will increase in value. And I know that it won't really matter in this tournament. 
per se because the tournament's going to be over and everybody that's drafting right now is dealing with the same information. We don't know where they're going, dealing with the same ADP. But after the draft, in, in my thinking, is that if Garrett Wilson goes to the Packers, you know, he jumps from a round eight guy to a round five guy. So between tournaments, you're getting, you know, three, four rounds of value with that specific player or whatnot. But I think just in general, like I said, they're appreciating assets, especially at the end of the draft where, you know, you're really drafting from guys that don't have as high of ceilings as these rookie wide receivers do if they hit on their landing spot and, you know, come into significant opportunity. So a player like Sky Moore is being drafted in the 16th round. Let's say he gets round one draft capital to a team like the Chiefs. Is he going to be a 16th round pick in the new best ball tournaments? You know, absolutely not. And same goes for, you know, David Bell, John Mechie, Jahan Dotson, Wandale Robinson, Alec Pierce. All of these guys are, are being drafted in the last two rounds around guys like Randall Cobb, Byron Pringle, Sterling Shepard, Marquez Callaway, LaVisca Chenault, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, guys that we know have low floors, low ceilings in the NFL that aren't really worth, you know, taking a shot on in these last rounds. In terms of ranges of outcomes, I think that these rookie receivers are more likely to have better seasons than these veteran guys that are going around them. And especially if you're drafting 150 teams, like you can just spread your exposure across multiple rookies and say you hit that you know, top five percentile outcome on a guy like Dotson or or David Bell or Mechie or whomever, like you're just going to be sailing to the money. That That's just kind of my thinking behind rookie wide receivers in general, especially at the end of drafts. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have a couple things that I want to say. I mean, in terms of your point, I definitely agree with you. One way that I look at it is that, you know, over the course of the offseason, there are going to be three major like shifts in ADP. Um, mm-hmm. The first one kind of already happened in free agency. And I mean, we saw it this year, especially with the amount of like massive league shifting moves. ADP definitely changed drastically from like when the tournament first opened until right now in early April. It's going to happen again after the NFL draft, like you referenced. Almost all of these rookies are going to get pushed up, and then some of the veterans that their landing spots impact are going to get pushed down. So massive ADP shift coming in about three weeks after the draft. And then, you know, the the final one will come sort of in, you know, at the end of June, beginning of July, when OTA's training camp and stuff like that opens, and we start getting a ton of news about, you know, player utilization and stuff is going to move then. Of course, there will be injuries that shift stuff at certain points too, but those are the three general ones that you can bank on happening year in and year out. It's just part of the off-season calendar. So while yes, like these rookies... ADP's rising post-draft isn't going to impact this tournament, like you said, because drafting will already be over. If you just are planning on drafting throughout the entire offseason, it's still good to get, you know, exposure to these players at a cheaper price in terms of like your entire portfolio Mm -hmm. um, relative to value. So, I mean, I think that that's very important. Yes, it'll be like weighted. So my early shares of this player are going to be weighted towards the early tournament. But in general, you're still getting access at the end of the day to the player's production in the season at a cheaper price. So why not take advantage of it when you can? We saw it a ton last year. Like when we were first drafting pre-NFL draft in 2021, Kyle Pitts was going in like what? Like the ninth round, eighth round? Ninth, tenth round. 
and, and he jumped up like five, six rounds just being drafted. Like everybody knew he was going to be drafted in the first round. Like everyone knew he was going in the top 10. It didn't matter where he went. And just for some reason, he goes somewhere and he shoots up boards. I don't know what that's about, but it's guaranteed to happen once again. So, I mean, this is just, you know, something that you'll notice if you draft multiple years in a row and you got to take advantage of it. It's literally clockwork. I, I obviously, I don't know the thought process behind the public and, and how they draft and, and value these rookies prior to the draft, but you pretty much laid it out perfectly. Like Kyle Pitts was a 10th round pick. Jamar Chase was an eighth, ninth round pick. And if you go back to those podcasts and streams a year ago from today, you will pretty much hear us discuss the same thing. And especially me, like I was the, I was the Jamar Chase Stan account, Mm -hmm. like on this podcast, I was drafting Jamar Chase every single time in the ninth round, just because generational prospect value is way too low just because he's not on a team yet and it didn't really matter what team he was going to go to as soon as he got drafted you know his ADP was going to shoot up a round or two at the minimum and that goes for like I said these guys like Drake London and Garrett Wilson and and Traylon Burks all it takes is a perceived good landing spot and some of these guys are six round picks so you're getting three rounds of value four rounds of value on top wide receivers in the NFL draft that have a pretty good chance of going to a team that has opportunity available so like I said most rookie wide receivers honestly all of them will appreciate as soon as we know their landing spots so that's kind of my take on it is you just draft a bunch of them you know spread your exposures out between all of these rookie wide receivers throughout the various parts of the draft from the eighth round on to the 20th round. And, you know, just put yourself in the best opportunity possible to hit on one or two of these rookie wide receivers that we know will make an impact year one and just, you know, give yourself 15, 20% exposure to all of them because they're all cheap. And if they bust 15% sky more in the 18th round, doesn't matter because he's an 18th round pick but if you have 20 percent sky more and he works out and hits and has a great rookie season you're automatically putting yourself in a high leverage position you know in terms of exposure on the field so yeah and just those players you know like that you were mentioning earlier like guys like it Randall doesn't matter Cobb, about they're the so capped no no no. i'm just saying like <laughs> yeah. in terms of the players range of outcomes like randall cobb his upside is going to be so capped and it's not like these guys have like uncapped upsides. Like it's very rare that they're going to like come out and have like a Justin Jefferson season where, you know, yeah. two years ago, JJ was going in the 18th round and then he shreds the league and you needed to have him. But like, even if they have a mediocre season, it's probably going to be better than these dudes like Randall Cobb or like Olamide Zakis or just like these complete nothings that are not going to give you anything um, in terms of upside. At least these guys have upside. They Yeah, they have that theoretical upside that we, we don't know if they can hit or not, but we know guys like Ashton Doolin was drafted in the 18th round above like John Mechie and Wandale Robinson and Alec Pierce and, you know, some of these other guys in the last draft I did. 
mm-hmm. in Byron Pringle. I mean, he, he went to Chicago. He might have a role, but we know his upside is pretty limited. Same with Marquez Callaway. You know, some of the guys that I talked about earlier, I'm, I'm just going to target rookie wide receivers all of the time. And I've been taking rookies that aren't even being drafted like Jalen Tolbert, just because, you know, he could be a third round pick. And I'd rather take my chance on, on, on a guy like that than a guy like John Ross and the 19th round. Yeah. And if you are somebody who plays DFS or have listened to this podcast or really any DFS podcast, probably they're going to talk about contest selection and knowing what your goal is when entering a contest. I mean, look at this drafters contest, $15,000 of the $50,000 prize pool goes to first and second place. So there's just no point in taking these guys who don't have upside. You're, you're, you know, 30% of the prize pool is going to first and second. Like you have to be gunning for the top first or worst. So you get, I mean, prioritizing upside, especially in the later rounds where the risk reward equation is so heavily weighted towards the reward being your target. I mean, God, um, have to just have to be drafting these guys while we are on the subject here of understanding the contest that you're playing in i want to address max entering in this contest so you can enter up to 150 drafts in this contest and i think there's a big difference and a big edge in in terms of trying to max enter if you can reasonably within your bankroll because it's it's not a big investment first of all i mean five dollars and 55 cents per team so it's not going to be a massive investment monetarily and i do think it gives you an edge in a tournament that's this small with 10,000 people, I think there's a pretty big difference between having, you know, one ten thousandth of the entries in a tournament versus having 1.5% of the entries in a tournament. And that's just looking at things from a base level. Like if every single team in the tournament was drafted well, if every team had the same exact potential to win the tournament, then you would have a 1.5% chance of winning if you max enter the tournament, but we know that that's not the case. And that goes into like sort of what I like to call like the 25% rule where about three out of every 12 teams, you know, three teams per draft, I think is dead by the time the draft finishes, you know, by the time round 20 ends, I would say about three teams per draft are dead just based off poor roster construction. And then you think about it like that, like, well, God, if this tournament fills and like 3000 plus are dead just off being bad, poorly drafted teams, that 1.5% chance goes up quite a bit. So I don't know, man. I, I think there's actually a significant edge in terms of getting as many entries into this thing as you possibly can. Yeah, especially if you're a plus EV drafter, Max entering into this contest specifically on drafters is definitely a good use of your money. You know, $5.55 times 150, you would be risking you know, $832, right? For the course of the season. Like you said, it's not a huge monetary investment, uh, but it's only an investment you should be making if you consider yourself a sharp drafter in best ball and you understand roster construction, you understand ADP and, and player values. And so if you under, if you understand all of those things, then yes, definitely max enter. But if you're only entering five to 10 to 15 drafts 
I, I think your expectation going into the drafts obviously should be first or worst, but also your expectation should be is you're just going to burn that $50. And that was kind of what I ran into last year because across both websites, I only had like a total of 150 teams across all of the tournaments. And while 150 isn't a small amount of teams, it's also not a large amount, especially over five, six, seven best ball tournaments. You know, I only averaged out at like 25 teams per tournament, and that's just not a large enough sample size, uh, you know, at the end of the day to really, you know, show your edge that you, you think you have, right? And, and if you're really drafting 20, 25 teams, a lot of it will just come down to variance. So I think if you're a small drafter like myself, you should just really be focusing on obviously drafting correctly, but you should be focusing on guys that, you know, you want to root for, have fun with it. You know, you I guess you really don't have to spread out your, your exposure too crazy if you're only drafting 10 or, or 20 teams. Yeah, I mean, that's the other point that I want to talk on, that I want to speak on as it, as it relates to this. So I was in a draft earlier this morning, right? And a guy with the fifth overall pick took Stefan Diggs. If he was only drafting one team into this tournament, that's totally fine. If you were like me where you're trying to enter 150 times, that same pick would be egregious. Is it possible that Stefan Diggs has a better season than Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and pays off that value? Absolutely. However, if it's a player like me who's trying to, you know, max enter 150 times, if I'm taking Stefan Diggs and sacrificing that much value, it's just flat out bad from the perspective of a portfolio of 150 teams taking somebody 10 picks ahead of ADP. And not only that, but like sacrificing your opportunity to get exposure, you know, towards guys who are going into specific part of the draft, you know, i.e. a top six pick where you can't get exposure to them anywhere else. You just have to be using the randomization of what draft pick you get to spread out your exposures in the top two rounds. Um, regardless of whether or not you think a certain player is going to do better than the other, it's just dangerous when you're drafting 150 teams to not mm -hmm. spread your exposures at the early part of the draft, now you can get heavier and heavier the later you are because the risk of like a 12th round pick busting and tanking your roster, if you have 25% or taking your tanking your portfolio, I should say, if you have 25%, it's not even going to happen. Like, you know, you can still survive with late round players busting. But if I have, you know, 40% of say like Dalvin Cook or something like that, because I'm taking him every single time towards the back end of these drafts and then he gets hurt, well, I just lost 40% of my teams. Yeah, so I, I just think that you really have to be cognizant going into these drafts how many times you plan to enter because it should shift your draft, uh, your draft strategy a little bit just in terms of how much you're focusing on your exposures across the amount of entries you plan to enter. Obviously, the people max entering understand that concept. And I would say the majority of people really only will have, you know, in this contest specifically, I think 10, 15 to, to 25 entries a person seems about right. You know, 10 entries is like 50 bucks. That's not a huge financial investment at all. So if you're if you're drafting 15 20 teams, I say obviously focus on the points that Ben mentioned first in terms of roster construction and ADP and understanding the board because you just don't want to get your money in bad period unless you don't give a fuck. I mean, I I care too much to ever get my money in bad theoretically. Even um, if it's only a little $5 entry. You know, I mean, I'll yeah. blow, you know, $50 blind betting an MLB game cuz my roommates say I should. And that's fine. 
but am I going to absolutely studiously sit down and value every second of this draft that I put $5 into? I absolutely am. Does it make sense? I don't know, but uh, it's just something I do. Yeah, facts. So, yeah, just, you know, know I would just say know what you're doing, know how to draft in best ball, and you'll be good. But, yeah, if you're drafting 10, 15 teams, honestly, your player exposure doesn't matter that much, in my opinion. Just go out, draft the guys that – you want that you like for 2022 and you know root for uh them to do well and maybe you get a little bit lucky and, and you run good and you make it to the top of the leaderboard but in this tournament specifically on drafters i think you're facing a lot of sharp guys that are 115 in a tournament that could potentially overlay how many uh, how many people do you think 150 in this i don't think it's that many i mean i'm looking at this draft and you know there's one two three four five guys with 50 plus just in in this last draft that i did and you're not in there and some of the people in our discord aren't in there so you're you're definitely facing some good drafters that are 115 mm-hmm. you know maybe it's not a lot maybe it's like 10 15 of the total user base but if 10 people are 115 that's over 10 percent of the entire field that are well-constructed, sharp teams, in theory. And especially if the contest overlays, say there's only 8,000, you know, that 10% goes to 14, 15%. Right. So, you know, you're really at a disadvantage, honestly, in this contest if you're not 115. And and I will say, it's you don't need to 150 to win. I didn't 150 any tournaments last year. Oh, uh, the, no, the, you don't need to 150 tournament, to win. The tournament that I won, which was not this early one, it was the second one that they launched uh, right after the draft, well, I, I had 75. So, I, I, you know, and that was the same size, 10,008 entrants. I had 75. I am going to be 150-ing this one, or at least I'm trying to. Um the drafts are filling relatively slowly, so hopefully you new users out there are using promo code DOSE when you enter so we can start filling these things up. But yeah, uh, definitely 150-ing this one, but it's not necessary to win by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of phrase that poorly. It's not necessary or uh, I don't think you need 150 to win, but 10 guys will have covered about 10% of the field in this tournament. You know, 15 guys that are 115 will have 15% of the field. Like, that, that's still a lot of entries from sharp drafters that you're going to have to beat, especially if you're only drafting 5 to 10 teams in any tournament, honestly, on any platform. So your expectation going in should be that you are going to lose. Now, a single-entry best ball tournament, that would be kind of interesting, but I think it would probably be like pretty unrealistic to fill. It would have to be a high buy-in. That would a, high, be, a high buy-in short field and that would be awesome. I would love that. That that would be crazy. Like a like a 250 or or 300 or 333 something like, you know, DraftKings 333 entry, you know, 1000 entries single single entry tournament. Yeah, I mean, I bet they could fill a $250 thousand person field that would have a two hundred fifty thousand prize pool i don't know 50k to first like god i don't know man Just might be one cooking with single something. bullet <laughs> oh my god that would be a crazy sweat that Just would be a one crazy single sweat. bullet <laughs> i love i like i like that idea quite a bit to be honest all right do you have anything else that you want to give the people before we close this show out yeah i think my final point in terms of just players in general and something that I specifically 
put into my fantasy game in DFS, in redraft, in best ball is I am not going to heavily weight the prior year in terms of where I think players should be going. Now, obviously, you do have to take into account the previous year and, you know, a player's target share or their rush attempt share in the offense and whatnot. Like the opportunity share does have to get taken into account. So I'm not saying just disregard 2021, but I think specifically with certain players that their 2021s get overrated by the field uh, and their values drop, whereas their situations you know, haven't really changed from last year. And I tweeted this, but a guy that kind of fits that criteria for me is Kenny Galladay. So last year in best ball, first year with the Giants, Kenny Galladay was getting drafted as a seventh round pick, right? Eighth round pick, if I'm not mistaken. You can he was, he fact was, check me. He was more like a sixth round pick by the end. Sheesh. Yeah, sixth round pick. Now, going into 2022, he has a lackluster 2021, whatever. Evan Ingram leaves. Sterling Shepard will most likely start the year on the PUP list, missing the first six games. They get a massive upgrade in coaching in Brian Dayball, and they replace their offensive coordinator as well. So they get a whole coaching overhaul, and it from the surface, looks like a plus EV move for the Giants long-term, bringing in, you know, a offensive coordinator as their head coach that we saw run this crazy Bills offense, explosive offense, and, you know, we think he could do the same thing with the Giants, right? So his situation has gotten extremely better in terms of everything, and now he's a 12th round pick. That's just one example of where you can take advantage of people's biases towards previous years instead of looking forward and that you know brings in the quote past results don't indicate future success and that's kind of a quote that I like to use when I'm drafting you know certain players in best ball you know Will Fuller also fits that criteria for me as a as an 11th round pick and yeah I, I just think specifically with with Kenny Galladay there there's an there's an opportunity there to take advantage of a player that is five rounds cheaper than where he was last year in a worse situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, th- that's absolutely true. And people are always going to have recency biases. And we talk about that a lot during the DFS season. I think the concept is really similar to our, you know, standard way that we look at injuries where we, you know, if a player is coming back from an injury, we're not going to hold the injury against them. Well, a lot of the field will, and a lot of people aren't going to be able to project forward because they're too busy looking back. And we see that a lot, especially at this point in the year in early ADP. A lot of this is just based off of where players finished last season. You know, that that's how initial ADP is formed before things really start to shift over the next uh, couple of weeks. So past results not indicating future success. This is a new year. There's a lot of new situations and you absolutely can find some edge by looking forward rather than looking back and expecting the same thing to happen year over year because situations are just totally different. And I think you specifically as a player have always uh, sort of looked at it this way. And I mean, that was evident in our last episode where we talked about, you know, the way that you value Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
it's a tough argument with CMC because he's still the 102, you know, in, in most of these drafts. But obviously some people have him ranked a little bit lower and, and whatnot. But yeah, I'm, I'm really just not knocking him for the injury. And I'm really just looking at the opportunity that he will have if he is healthy. And we know the ceiling that CMC has, but obviously he's still a top four pick in any draft you do. So you're not getting an edge there in terms of it. Um, I, I, I'm really only seeing like, you know, the, these guys going later in the drafts that you could do that with, like Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Julio Jones is a 14th, 15th round pick, Antonio Brown is a 20th round pick, and I think I have like 100% AB right now, which is, you know, whatever. You know, some some people would disagree with that, and, you know, they're, they're going to look at his 2021, and he walked off the field and whatnot, but as a 20th round pick... I think that there are just plenty of ways where he goes to a team and sees opportunity and pays off that 20th round ADP. And if he doesn't, it's not burning me at all. It's a 20th round pick. So just players like that, where people have these negative opinions and negative biases towards them, I will be targeting some of these guys later in the drafts and hopefully reaping the rewards of people's negative perception against guys like, you know, Julio. Kenny Galladay, etc. All right. I think that was really well said. I think we each dropped some gems in this episode. I think that anybody listening is probably a little bit more prepared to attack this tournament than they were 40 minutes ago. So shout out to all of our listeners. We've got a ton of content coming up. So make sure if you are not already, you're following us on Twitter at the DFS dose, you're subscribed to our YouTube channel and most importantly, join the Discord. We have a lot of sharp best ball players. I think just being in that Discord can help you get better and better at drafting. We have, you know, conversations. We hit each other up when these drafts are, you know, getting ready to fill. So it's good stuff. We have multiple tournament winners in our Discord, not just myself. Also going to be dropping my rankings for this drafters tournament in our Discord later this week, and you can download that, upload it, and just use them yourself. So that's going to be a little uh, exclusive bonus for our Discord members. And that is going to be it for episode 206. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you, we value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.